Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have two less than enjoyable games to talk about this week. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Brian Ashlock, coming to us from the slopes of South Florida. Brian, how are you doing today? Pretty poorly. Um, gonna gonna have to go for a nice long ski trip this weekend, I think. Just gotta get, get back up. Yeah, you know, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta get back out there, and um, you know, just need that little pick me up. Well, our our other uh, esteemed co-host Ben Daniels couldn't be with us this week as he is surely uh, plotting Antonio Conte's demise somewhere in an undisclosed location. But uh, tragically, we still are here because we have to talk about a two to one loss against Newcastle United on Sunday, and a uh, less-than-enjoyable 1-1 draw against Sporting uh, Lisbon uh, today in the Champions League. Um, Let's, I guess, start with the Newcastle game for once. We're going to work backwards. Uh, Brian, I don't know about you. I I, I mean, again, as a Spurs fan, I, I think I've seen my fair share of incredibly frustrating conceded goals. I don't think... I can't remember the last time I've been as viscerally angry um, with something Tottenham did as I was when we conceded the second goal in this match. It was, I, I was so angry when that happened, and I can't remember the last time I've been that angry at Tottenham, which is funny because they've given me a lot of opportunities to get angry, particularly in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it was sloppy all the way around and it it really kind of typified just the way we played um there was nobody out there i think that played particularly well um i think you know oliver skip was maybe the best performer and i guess harry kane because he scored a goal but yeah that goal in particular was pretty bad uh longley and sassignon were horrible on it hugo started the opportunity and i mean i'm sure we're gonna talk is more it about finished it. it is that is that is that the, way, the right way to put it yeah i i mean i'm sure we're gonna talk a little bit more about hugo later on but like he he certainly wasn't good there well, he um, shouldn't have made that pass or that throw whatever and he should have stopped it like that's what was so aggravating about the whole thing like it's it's completely avoidable on both ends like and, you know, I, I mean, credit to Almiron in Newcastle. Like, he works hard, and that's really nice. And he's in the team because he presses and everything, and he's occasionally all right. But he's, like, he's a good MLS player. Like, he, he shouldn't have, like, been able to body Sessegnon and then burst past Longley like that. Like, that's embarrassing. Hugo put Sessegnon in a very bad position. I still think Sassignon should have done better. Longley certainly should have done better, and so should Hugo. But it was just 
the way Ben described it as it was happening or after it happened was it stuck with me. It was like humiliation fetish levels of like embarrassing. It was so because it's not just the way that the goal happened. The fact that it happened like almost immediately after the goal before that, which was incredibly humiliating in its own way. Another goal that Hugo is at fault for. It was, you know, because I think like that first goal. It's bad, it's frustrating, but sometimes shit happens, you know? Hugo misjudges it, he gets fouled, he, you know, Dyer messes up going back to goal, like all this stuff, you know? Guy takes a pot shot, it actually goes in. It's annoying and there's a lot of problems with it, but there's like a level at which I can tolerate that. But to do that, to concede the second goal the way we did immediately after that first goal was so intensely aggravating. It was... Like, I was ready to sell the whole team when that happened. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to me, I think, and, and we touched on this kind of before we started recording, the offense is there. It, it's just, it seems lackadaisical from everybody. You know, Hugo makes kind of a weird chipped pass out to Sessegnon that, like, puts him in a bad position, like you said. But then Sessegnon, instead of, like, I don't know, just going all in and making sure that Almiron doesn't advance on the penalty area, just committing a foul, taking a booking or whatever. Uh, it, it doesn't manage to do that. Longley initially backs away from Almiron as though to allow him to come into the area, then thinks better of it, steps up, and at that point Almiron just kicks it around him and runs past him, and it's just like nobody nobody showed any level of aggression on that play or like that they wanted to like do something to be kind of front foot and i think that's really weird for a conte team like and and you know, I, I don't like to use the term spursy or whatever but that was a pretty spursy goal like I mean- Everything about, I think the Newcastle, there's been a few journalists who say that Tottenham looked a little bit out to lunch lately, and they they think it's because the World Cup's coming up. And that's, you know, teams, maybe not Newcastle, other teams we're playing have guys going to the World Cup. So it's not only Spurs, but like, I can kind of believe it, like, you know, some of these guys are just checked out. Uh, But I don't, that doesn't explain, like, you know, like, like, Hugo's making bad decisions. Like, I mean, you talked about aggression, like. Almiron, I mean, again, you got to give him credit. He does a lot of good stuff to, you know, like get that ball, create that opportunity. It wasn't a great shot. I mean, that's a fairly tame shot that he puts off in the box. And, you know, Hugo probably should have gotten there. And it's just, you know, I don't know what it is. But, like like you said, for a Conte team, whether it's the World Cup's coming up or they're just fried or, you know, I don't know what, but there, there is a lack of sort of aggression here. And I think we've seen this pattern in both of the games, and we'll, we'll talk about this, is, you know, it's it, there's a feeling out period at the beginning, and then Spurs, like, really come into the match. And I think in the Newcastle game in particular, I thought we looked really good for the first, I would say, like, right before that, that, that first goal that we conceded. You know, I thought Suns should have scored a goal. We were pressing really well, or, or we were pressing them really well. It was just like... We looked really, you know, it's not like Barcelona in 2011 or anything, but like, like, you know, we looked pretty good. We looked a little more fluid and coherent. Skip, I thought, was really injecting some positive stuff into the team. Like, and, I, you know, I was feeling really good about how we were playing. 
you know, in my head I was thinking like, ah, yes, well, if we're playing this well, surely that like we're going to, we're about to concede a goal. And just like, not only did that happen, but the sort of comical response after that was just so depressing. And unlike, I would say, I mean, I know we had our chances in the second half, but at least there was a response in this game against Sporting today. You know, I do not think there was much of a response against Newcastle. I mean... No, I don't think there was. And, you know, I'm still very frustrated by the fact that we do seem to so frequently come out flat-footed or... um, to grow into the games or whatever like Conte has it's not Conte has one plan right like it doesn't really change from match to match as far as we can tell so like why does it take 30 minutes for us to like get into the swing of things you know it doesn't like you look at these two matches right and I'm just going to take them in isolation and there's sure. a degree to which I don't mind because it happened under Pochettino all the time we look kind of rusty or kind of meh for the first like 10 to 20 minutes of a match while we're sort of feeling out the opposition and then we really start kicking into gear and if this team was like taking a and to some extent that's what you're seeing like you look at today's match you look at that Newcastle match and it was a lot of that I mean Newcastle match I think we came sort of flying out of the block so maybe that's a bad example but like the sporting match, I thought, was, like, an example of that. It's, like, after 10, 15 minutes, Spurs started sort of start. you know, they started going up a gear, and you could see them starting to assert themselves. And then they really got sort of caught on the break, and they scored that goal, and it was like, you know, they just... For me, it's the total lack of response after that happens. They either shut down, or they just start getting battered. And it's like... I don't know. It's just like... Especially when this happens so early in a match. It's not like... This is happening in the 70th minute, and it's a real... I mean, it's got to be a letdown no matter when, but, like, you know, you could see the stupid goal in, like, the 15th minute or 28th minute or whatever. You know, you have time to respond. If you're going to concede a goal in a match, like, you might as well do it early. I mean, I don't know that I agree with that we should be... If we're going to concede, concede early, but... I, I understand the point you're making, I, and I guess... I don't want to see the team you know, hanging their heads is what I'm trying to say, because it's like... You know, you don't have, like, five minutes to fix this. You've got a lot of time to fix this. Like, go and get them. Yeah, but I think I think the thing is, and, and that we didn't really see in either of these matches, is first goals resulting in, like, a sort of immediate wake-up call. Now, we improved late in the game uh, today against Sporting. Like, the, our last probably, what, 25, 30 minutes were I, pretty I'd say good. most of the second half, but fair enough. Like, um, You know, and, I mean, against Newcastle, I don't really think we ever really... I think we calmed down. Out. I don't think we ever looked terribly incisive after, after those goals. I, I think we calmed it down and we weren't getting cut open all the time, but... In the second yeah, half. And, but, yeah, I, it didn't, we didn't... It didn't feel like we were going to equalize, even though we had our chances. And, you know, like, I don't want to be too doom and gloom about this because still, at the end of the day, you know, we're still third in the league. We're still top of our Champions League group. Like, you know, I think, and I've I've heard this echoed on other Spurs podcasts this week, is if you told me at the beginning of the season that we would be in, you know, almost November... I would be pretty pleased with it. I mean, we've got, what, like two or three league games left. We've got one Champions League match left. Um, you know, I, I, I feel 
pretty good about where we're at. And and so like and I think we you and I talked about this with Joel last week. The frustrating thing is just that we're not playing the way that we envisioned us playing, while also still simultaneously sort of meeting what our expectation or our like best case scenario of expectations were, you know? Um I don't know. I, I, I just if it is the thing with the World Cup, then all right, let's just get to the World Cup and then happens in January or late December when everybody comes back. Like, whatever, man. Like, uh, you know, I don't want to drop too many more points between here and, you know, the World Cup, but let's just get there. Let's, if we have to skate there and, you know, we, we go into the break fourth, like, all right, but, like, it's, I don't know. It's just frustrating. It's... I mean, I think there's an element, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but, like, it feels like other teams have game planned for us a little better, but I don't think that adequately explains it. Because, you know, I don't think, you know, it's not this, like, one simple trick. Like, United pressed us in a way that we really looked unprepared for, but most teams aren't playing us like that. Like, Newcastle pressed us for a little bit, and we were having some trouble with it, and then we just got sloppy. And yeah. I don't think Newcastle really outplayed us or, like you said, had trick or whatever. It was like we gave up a stupid goal. We dropped our heads. Well, I think some of the stupid goal, goal was because they were – like I think they started at a point to like press us a little bit higher. But, like, you know, it wasn't like we were constantly losing the ball. We just did a dumb thing and we gave up a goal and then we started capitulating. I mean – what I'm saying is I don't think it's just other teams because we, like, one thing, I, I noticed it again today, I've noticed it in a lot of matches, we just, like, aren't possessing the ball as well as we did last year. And I don't mean, like, play in possession. I mean, like, receive the ball and control it. Like, like our, our players are just so much sloppier this year. And, you know, I understand that we were, you know, maybe hitting more first-time passes and stuff last year. We had guys like Kulashevsky who were getting more minutes and, Romero is playing at a bit of a higher level, but like we are seeing things this team do this year that are, they were not a problem last year. And I have a hard time attributing it to what other entirely attributing it to what other teams are doing. And I don't have a great explanation for it. Cause it's like across the board on the team. People just aren't as sharp as they were last year. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to attribute, you know, son's sudden lack of touch to two I, I i don't know you know what to attribute you know richarlison's inability to pick out a pass to i, I you know i th- there's well that there's might a lot be, of issues that might be baked in that one might be baked that, in. yeah that might be a thing I, and yeah maybe it is just as simple as you know romero and kulisevsky just haven't played all that much or or haven't played really together that much this season i know nathan a clark was talking about on twitter this year that um we've played like two matches with both of them in the lineup uh and and i mean kulisevsky has been i don't know basically non-existent this year and you know to to talk a little bit about the sporting game you had brian heel come on and to play nominally in in a the role that Kulisevsky plays in and we looked a lot better 
And now, look, I don't know if that's, you know, partially due to sporting being willing to drop back a little, concede possession, defend a little more. But Heel was showing for the ball. He was getting in between the lines. He was aggressively moving the ball forward and making passes to people that were open. Um, I, I wouldn't say that he was, like, good, or but he was... I think he was positive, like, and I don't know how much of that's... He offers us, like you said, like he's offering us passes or breaking lines as much as it was like. I mean, he's a little spark plug. Like, I've never seen anyone chase down a loose ball like he does. Like, you know, I mean, it's, and especially on a Spurs team that can be a little stayed, like it stands out. And I don't know how that's going to work against like a good team. Like if we tried this against like a Liverpool or something, but like certainly against a team like Sporting or. Newcastle. I mean, we're just at the point where with the dearth of options we have, like, like I know that he can't, like, bench press 350 pounds or whatever, but, like, like I think Conte's got to think about using him more because if nothing else, it's like, I mean, we joke about chaos. Like, I mean, it's kind of what he does. Like, he, he just injects some life into the game and, like... And, I mean, I, I think he did more in whatever the 30, 35 minutes that he played than Lucas Mora did in the entire time that he was on the field. You know, and I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to take a shot at Lucas Mora in this specific case. I'd be very happy to do that. But, like, you know, I, I really do think a lot of it is um, with him and with Oliver Skip that they're guys that are just tryhards. And I mean, you know, that is one of the reasons that Richarlison endeared us himself to us at the beginning of the season was you're chasing down lost balls, you're running, you're you're trying to break the lines, you're 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 doing things that whether or not they are in the patterns that we as fans can look at and go, oh, at least somebody wants to try something. And but I think it's more. Than, I mean, it was effective at least today. It was effective. Sure. It wasn't just like, oh, look, he's running. Like, cause remember the um. Was it the first sporting match that he came in? What was it? Was it Marseille? I can't remember. Where uh, he came in late and was like... I think it was the first Frankfurt match where he yeah. came on and just did nothing. But he ran down that, like, he managed to stop a ball from going out of bounds for a corner or something. And it was like... It wasn't like yeah. that, where it's just like, wow, he's got a lot of energy. He's like a golden retriever out there. It's, you know, like, I do think he contributed something to, tangible today. Now, I don't want to get too carried away because we're looking for positives, but... But, I mean, I think, you know, we, we were constantly talking about, you know, the dearth of options off the bench and not really having a replacement for Kulisevsky. And, like, I, if we're going to play 3-4-3, three, three, I would almost rather we run heel out there than Lucas Mora. Because, I mean, 30 minutes and 35 minutes or whatever, it's, it's not anything to build, like, a real expectation off of. But I don't know. I think it's more a start for Spurs. I, just give me something else for a little bit. Like, let's play Skip more. Let's play Heal more. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Let's try Emerson at right center back. I, I don't, well, it's I don't like know. we got with Lucas today. And, again, I do think Lucas, at least early on, gave us a little bit of structure that was like he at least sort of fits into that. If you want to run a 3-4-3 three, three out there, he fit. Like you could put him out there and it's not a total, you know, insane thing to do. But 
you know, he's it's it's the Lucas War experience. There was a there was a play, I can't remember when in the match it was, but he gets the ball and he cuts inside and does a really nice move to sort of, you know, drive off three guys, and then he tries to cross it and there's nobody there. And it's just like it's like that's Lucas Moore for you. Like that's what he gives you these these days, you know. And it's just, you know, Brian. I mean, we t- you talk about dearth of options are just uh, guys who are available. Talk about even when these guys are available, you know, we talk a lot about like like for like on our bench. There's a lot of that, and Brian gives you a different look. And I don't think it's going to solve all of our problems, but it was nice today, and it seemed to make a difference. I think the real elephant in the room, if we're talking about the sporting match, is the last minute winner that wasn't uh, from Harry Kane. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to exactly know the offsides rule. If we're just talking about is Kane even or behind the ball, you know, when Emerson has it, it's like, I don't know. If those are the margins we're talking about, it sure seems silly to me. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. And I mean, we have to remember that, that the Champions League is doing this semi-automated offsides thing. And so, like, I, I guess my frustration with this was why was this – why did this take so long to figure out? And I guess the Because the human that, looked at it and was like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think ultimately the, the thing that they were trying to figure out was whether the deflection is, like, the defender purposely playing the ball or whatever. and And whether or not that then puts Kane back on side. And, you know, like – all right, I guess that takes a little time to look at. But, like, you know, offside is a binary decision. You either are or you aren't. And while I think it's – I mean, we've all seen the photo at this point. You know, the his arm or his knee slash thigh is just, like, fractionally ahead of the ball as it's on and And, okay, I, I, I you know – Whatever. I mean, I, I think, I think it, it sucks, but like, if it had gone the other, like, if it had, if it had gone in our favor, I mean, by that I mean like Sporting had scored a goal and then or Sporting had scored that goal, and it would have been chalked off in the other end, then I would have been like, yeah, obviously, well, that's the rule. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, it, it's frustrating because. I, I think we all, at least initially, were focused on, look where Emerson is. And obviously, everyone is behind Emerson. But like you said, the the law is that you have to be behind the ball, and Emerson is leaning back to get the ball. Even that, even by that standard, it's like, you look yeah. at it, and it's, I mean, this is the problem with VAR, because you look at these, like, super pixelated photos, and they yeah. zoom in, and I am sure it is more complicated than, like, some dork drawing a line on a picture, but, like... It's 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 just you look at it and the margins are so tiny that you just think to yourself like how are you calling that off like how are you you know it's like and, and it's not helped by the fact that like again on some level I appreciate that they didn't do this but like they are just not calling offsides in goal scoring situations and I guess this is the reason why they don't want to chalk off a goal unnecessarily but Son had a few moves. I think he hit straight at the keeper that would have been offsides if they'd gone in the net. And they just aren't blowing the whistle because they want the play to continue. I don't know. But, like, you look at a picture like that, and it's just – it's so hard to know. It's, it, you know, it's like how can we tell – like, it's one thing 
think I'm actually going to bring this up. The, um, the Cunaguero, um, offsides that put us through the champions league semifinals. Like if you go back and look at that, that's not like a millimeter. Like it is like, you look at that picture. He's clearly offsides. Like it is, you know, he's like a, he's got like half a foot in front of the ball or whatever, the last defender, yeah. whatever it was. And it's like, when you see something like that, as annoying as it may be, as I understand the whole, like, it ruins celebrations and all that stuff, you know, you can sort of look at that, and even if you don't like VAR, you're kind of like, you know what, like, that's offsides. But you look at something like this, and even if it is technically offsides, it's so close, you're just like, Jesus Christ, like, like what are we doing here? It's not like, a, you know, it's not like goal line, I mean, I guess they're trying to make it like goal line, like the Hawkeye technology, because I think we're all kind of... You know, the Hawkeye stuff, I think we're all sort of fine. with. Does it cross the plane of the goal? Like, I think yeah. no one's really, you know, that angry about that, except in the moment. This just seems so silly. And that's magnified when it's a, when it's such an emotional, important goal. I mean, that was a huge moment of celebration. That was, you know, it has huge implications, frankly. Like, I mean, Tottenham would have wrapped up the group if that goal stood. Um, we would, I mean, we could have played, they could have sent you and me out there against against Marseille, and it wouldn't have mattered. And, you know, now they could theoretically not advance to the group, out of the group stage, depending on how things go. And it's just like, it's, it, you know, it does kill the emotion, and it does, which I don't think is, like, should be the deciding factor here, but you're doing all this stuff. It has all these implications, both on fans in terms of our experience watching the games, in terms of the consequences of the matches. And it's, like I said, it, it, it you... You look at that, and it might be right, but it's just hard to, like, in a weird way, it doesn't pass the smell test, because you're just, like, these margins are so, it's not, you know, if you're zooming into some, like, ultra high-resolution file, and I can look at it and be like, well, if you look at this, you can clearly see that da-da-da-da-da. But it's not. It's like, you know, you're relying, a computer tells me these are where the lines are, when it looks like, at best, they're even, if not, I mean, I know, I guess technically that's offsides, but, you know, it's sure... I don't know. Like a referee's not going to call that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and look, I think I think ultimately the the most important thing is that we're getting calls right, and the way that the law is right now, that was the correct call. But I think your criticism is valid, and I think it's criticism that a lot of people have had that, like, you know, drawing the lines and like, you know, how do we know that like this is the frame where the you know, the foot or the head in this case is connecting with the ball or is it the next frame or is it the frame before? And it's just like the, the laws are not written in such a way that they are, they're prepared for VAR. Like, and VAR has been a thing now for what, four or five seasons. Um, at least, you know, in the, on the international stage and it, cause it was, I was at the last world cup and everything. So, you know, like, uh, the laws just haven't moved enough to reflect what we're now capable of technologically. And, and But is what we're capable of technolog- technologically, like, sufficient for what they're trying to do? That's what I mean. I don't know. Like, like, I, I, like I, they tell me, I mean, they're using some form of automation here, and I, I you know, I, I don't want to dismiss it outright, but. You know, we keep having these, like, you know, where it looks like you could, you know, you get a hair between Harry Kane's foot and the ball. And it's just like, okay, like, like you said, like, which is the right frame, which is this. And, you know, it sure looks like it's the same line to me. I mean, I don't know. It's just. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is you have to figure out like you know, you know some people are advocating for like is there daylight between you know a player and a last defender it, you know like because I don't know these fine marginal calls are, are the ones that are the most annoying obviously. But I think that's it, that's where you get the technology. Like no one questions like I just was saying no one questions like the Hawkeye technology they're using on goal line. You know, like, does it cross the plane of the goal? Because we know it works. We believe it. You know, we understand what's yep. going on. So there's no questioning. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I'm sure there is. Qu- but by and large, no one has a problem with, like, the referee having a little buzzer on his watch. Tell him, like, something, you know, the ball crossed the plane of the goal. Because we yeah. believe that there is technology sufficient to do that. And I am not if, – if there is technology sufficient to make the kind of close calls they made today, I don't feel like – it is being demonstrated to the viewer in such a way to make us comfortable with it. Now, maybe I'm this – this could be all sour grapes because I'm a Spurs fan and I was denied an exciting last-minute winner. <laughs> um, yeah. That, so, you know, but – I mean, yeah, we, we also have to remember how, how, how much VAR has helped us against, I don't know, Manchester City in every match we've yes. ever played. Yes, I mean, you're right. Them. You're so, right. You know, I don't know. There's pros and cons, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, yes, that is annoying. And yes, that is a, a shitty way to lose, like, a pretty good goal for for uh, a win that would have guaranteed us. It was going a really good goal, too. It was a really um, good goal. But, like, also we should have played better. And we shouldn't have let Marcus Edwards score against us. And, you know. I mean, those are all true things. We also played pretty well for, like, the second half, I thought. Um, most of the second half. Like, I mean, I think when yeah. we talked about Brian a little bit. I mean, but it was one of those things where just the, I don't want to get off the goal quite yet because one thing I know we've, we, we've had our fair share of luck this year. I don't want to discount that, but you know, it feels like we've kind of been stuck in the mud a little bit the last, at least since, you know, the United game. And, you know, there's this part of me, I was wondering this early in the match, like if we could just get it going our way in a way that makes you feel good, like, you know, you put a hurting on a team like Sporting, you don't know, deserve it, or a last-minute winner. Like, something that we can all just feel really good about, you know. Does that – do? can we kick on from that? Or does that help get us sort of out of this muck? And probably not. Probably we need a transfer window or a change of tactics or whatever. But it's just like – I don't know. That's part of what I, made me really frustrated today is, like, I feel like maybe maybe we found a way out of this and we didn't. So, Yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm trying very hard to keep my head level and keep perspective and just, I don't know, not get too down in the, in the doldrums about this. Cause so you're, you're saying um, Conte out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I want to know what he said to the ref to get sent off. I mean, um, I, I can imagine like, I hope that it no, was... I can imagine what it was, but I want to know. Like what it actually was, I I kind of hate that too because I feel like if you're a ref, you gotta like I, I. There was an incident in Spain this weekend where a guy got a second yellow for pulling off his shirt to pay tribute to a dead guy, like he had it written on his shirt under it, and he got he got a second yellow and sent off for it. And it was one of those things where it's like, this is not the same as that. I want to be very clear, but like I feel like if you're the yeah, ref and you're gonna pull that goal back at the end of the game, like yeah. I don't. Like, I, again, I don't know what Conte said, but, like, I feel like you got to give him a pretty long leash considering, like, what just happened. Like, regardless yeah. if you're um, right or not, like, you know. 
But now it means that Ryan Mason gets to uh, manage at the Velodrome uh, in the next Champions League match. Is that and a maybe... three-match ban or just a one-match ban? I I think it depends on how egregious what he did was, but I think it's just a one I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if yeah, they, they're not going to punish us too. I hadn't even thought about that. We have a must-win match, and Conte can't be on the sidelines for it. So that's fun. Um yeah, I, I would imagine that they're going to get a lot of rope from UEFA considering what just yeah. happened. But who knows? I don't know. Um, let's talk about games that haven't happened yet. Who do we play this weekend? Maybe that'll, <laughs> maybe that'll cheer me up. Really? After what we just saw happen against Newcastle? Do you think that'll cheer you up? Uh, no, probably not. Uh, let's see. We play... Bournemouth, yeah, that'll cheer me up for sure. Oh, until it doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I'm curious, um, actually, because I was so mad. What is the angriest Spurs have ever made you? <sighs> um, like not sad, like we were after the Champions League final, but like the angriest a moment has made you. Uh, it's got to be like one of like. Probably the bridge, maybe. Battle just where, yeah, where we, where we. I don't. I don't think that us winning that match would have made any difference to us winning the title that season, but it wouldn't have been Chelsea who did it to us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, and and then we wouldn't have finished, you know, set a third in a two horse race, and and just like. The way it happened, like, we just got, like, I don't know, out, like, thought, or, like, we got, we were a team of, of shithousers, and then we got out shithoused by a Chelsea team that really didn't have much to play for, and, you know, you got, like, to, for them to get, like, the coolest of personas in, in, in Musa Dembele to attempt to gouge someone's eye out. Um, you know, like, I I was pretty pissed off during that match. Um, I don't know. I, I, I generally speaking, try not to get angry. I get more like depressed about our play. I don't, I can't think of any other games where I've been like, just like wanting to throw something or being like just that upset. Man, I was, when, when that goal went in, against Newcastle, that second goal went in. I was like, I don't know. I, I screamed very naughty words that my son has now learned. He, like, sort of looked shocked across the room because I was so angry. Um, and I don't know. I was so It was just like the way we conceded it was so frustrating. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember. I've definitely had a lot of those, like, we're playing badly and it's not going our way. And it just sort of frustration builds over the course of the match. And then you get angry at the end because – you know, you fluff a chance or you concede, like, late after not being able to do anything. I don't know. Like, I think the I think the the Liverpool beating under AVB might be the angriest I ever got. Because, I, I mean, I turned on AVB that day. I was, I was very much like, oh, he needs time. He'll figure it out. And then that match happened. I was like, oh, we just capitulated and gave up and didn't even, didn't even bother. Like, what an embarrassment. Um, yeah, I, I mean... The Newcastle match to end the season that one year. Yeah, man, that was... But again, it was like... 
it was at the end of the season. I don't think ultimately it changed. It was the, it was the not finishing of Arsenal. I think we forget about how frustrating the St. Tottenham's Day thing was now because it's been so long. But like, right. God, it was like because I remember thinking like we're out of the title race, but at least we're gonna have to. F- at least that's fucking over. We don't have to listen to that shit anymore. And like the way they threw yeah. it away against Newcastle was so aggravating. Yeah, um, you know, I I just. I get used to the Spurs letting us down from time to time. So, like, you know... You, well, that's what I mean. I think there's a difference between them, like, letting us down and you just get, you know, a heavy sigh and, like, wanting to throw something across the room. Like, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there have been, like, specific moments. Like, I was pretty angry about the Sissoko handball in the Champions League final. Um, but then, like, the rest of the game happened and you're like, eh, all right, whatever. But that's, like, a weird type of angry because that's, like... You're angry at Sissoko, but you're really angry at the referee. Yeah. Like, because Sissoko screwed up, but it's not like, like, he should have gotten away with it. Like, you know, that that shouldn't have been yeah. a penalty. And, you know, so it, it's more like, what are you angry at the team or at the players than, like, you know, just yeah. mad and something I mean, happened. Like, you weren't mad at the team during Lasagna Gate, were you? It was just like. No, no. Yeah. What do you do about that? Order the food, um, order, order the salad. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty mad every time Ryan Mason played, but that was that was really just limited to him. That was like a personal choice you made, though. So yeah, that was it was. Um, you know, I don't know. I the entirety of the Tim Sherwood era. Well, it was. I'm trying to remember because I was thinking like the Mourinho era was really frustrating. But like, and I'm sure Ben would have a very different perspective on this than me. There was not a flashpoint. It was more just like you know an ongoing frustration. And occasionally we'd like right when you were getting really irritated with it, we kind of you know pull up a little bit until the very end. I guess that the closest yeah. thing I would have in the Mourinho era is when we lost to. Uh, was it Split or Zagreb? Who do we lose? What was the Croatian team we lost to in the championship? Zagreb, I think. Zagreb, yeah. yeah. That's like the closest thing to like being really angry at Mourinho. Uh, like a specific moment. I mean, I, you were sort of just constantly irritated with Mourinho. Um, but that's the closest thing there. It's just like the Sherwood era, I'm trying to remember like when was it? Because it just became this like insane assemblage of like decisions that you were just like, what are we doing? I guess the Chelsea Walker at the 10, the Chelsea matches. If there is a Tim Sherwood moment, I would say that the Chelsea match or Kyle Walker's in midfield. And we actually held Chelsea scoreless for a half because Mourinho was just kind of confused by what we were doing. And then they just like beat our brains in as soon as the second half started. Yeah. And I think like Pochettino's last champions league campaign um, like we had, was it Bayern in our group? That yes. Just, like, and you crushed... remember the first 30 minutes of that match? It was like the best we'd looked all year. And then Bayern yeah. just like uncorked seven goals on us or whatever. Yeah. I, I remember sitting in the Jacksonville airport being very upset about that game. Um, I cannot imagine. I can imagine few places more unpleasant to watch that game than the Jacksonville airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly can't. That's probably the most depressing place I've ever watched a Spurs game. Uh, 
like Wembley or something like that. Um, you probably watched yeah, more than was... one match at the Jacksonville airport. So. <laughs> so, yeah, so many champions. Most of that Champions League campaign, honestly, Oof. I watched at the Jacksonville airport. I can't believe we got out of that group. Like, I, I, I misstated this a few weeks ago on the podcast. Like, I can't believe we got out of that group. I think it was, was it Olympiacos? There was some, like, real tomato can in that group. We just beat the It was, like, the only games Pochino had the team playing well. No, Red Star. It was Red Star. Yeah. And... Yeah, we we did just enough against them and whoever finished third. Um, but, yeah, I think Bayern put it to us both matches. Yeah, but there was that second match. We looked really good for, like, 30 minutes. And it was the most, like, oh, did we finally figure it out again? And then they just laid it on us. And it was... Yeah, it wasn't, and it and it was and it was Gnabry too, I think. Yeah. Before, and, and it was kind of like this. This was like the beginning of his like kind of not not the beginning, but like he hadn't really gone and exploded like he did in the last couple of seasons at Bayern. Yeah, he and was kind of like, yeah, like yeah, you're right. It was kind of like a prospecty Bayern guy at the time. Like, yeah, like we all knew that he was good, but he wasn't like, oh hey, he's a he's like a a striker or a goal scoring ten now. Uh, and then just against us, he just like it was. Very it's annoying. kind of weird how few Arsenal moments. Like I've been very angry during Arsenal matches, but like I think it's a mix of like you're so wound up for an Arsenal match and you're so ready for it to go wrong. I don't know about everyone else. I'm so ready for it to go wrong that it's like you're kind of preparing yourself for pain. And I guess we haven't had too many. Like last season is the first. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like the first real high leverage Arsenal match we've had in a while. The the game at the end Absolutely. of last season. Like I think I would have been very angry if we'd lost that match or blown that. But like we just haven't had it's mostly just been the Derby. There hasn't been a lot at stake except for that game at the end of last season. We haven't had one of those in a while. So Yeah, agreed. And a lot of times like when we lose to Arsenal, I feel like someone does something stupid, gets sent off in the twentieth minute, and then Arsenal just piles on and you're kinda just like you know, like Adebayor in that one year with the AVP in the 5-2 or whatever. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I I think I think the Derby is a is a thing in and of itself. Uh, and I, I I get more frustrated by us losing to shitty teams or than I do to like, you know. Cuz I think there's lost. something about like you're playing Chelsea who are generally a Champions League level team or you're playing Arsenal who are like your big rival or you're playing, you know, Manchester city who are like a juggernaut. Like there's a level of sort of like you've, you've already sort of mentally prepared yourself for bad outcomes. Yeah. When West Ham put it on you, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, when you fail to beat like West Brom in like September, uh, right before the international break or something, you're like, God, just like, why, why? Yeah, when, like Marcus this- Edwards is the, game-winning goal or whatever against you it's like okay like you know it's like chadley scores against you or something you're just like ah shit yeah it's just like it's the schadenfreude it's the like we should be better than this it's and it's not every time but it's like those games just have more of those moments where like you just want to put your head through a wall (laughs) yeah 100 percent and it doesn't help when Spurs are generally not playing the most attractive football. But hopefully that'll change. Hopefully, maybe maybe this game will light a fire under our ass and we'll come out guns a-blazing against Port, Bournemouth. Well, I think I think certainly, you know, uh, Conte 
said the right things in the press conference after the match to kind of like get the guys G'd up and ready for the next match. You know, he's like, he talks about how, you know, VAR is causing all this damage to the game and how, you know, we were, Harry Kane was on side and how we were robbed and like, I mean. Which is absolutely what he should be saying regardless of whether or not it's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Whether whether we actually believe it or not, whether it's true or not, this is the type of stuff he has to say to like light a fire under these guys. And, um, you know, I don't know. Hopefully we come out and just like, Put it on Bournemouth. Like, just let's go score four or five. And like, we haven't done that enough this year. I would really like to make another team pay for our problems. <laughs> put put Brian Heal out there. Just like let let the chaos god loose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why not? We're we're gonna make you other Brian again if it kills us, Brian. <laughs> so. That's fine. And you know, like I said uh, in our writers' room during the match, if it will help Brian Heal, I am willing to donate some of my weight to him. Um, I have a little bit to spare, um, and he needs a significant amount. We so. could, you know, you know what we should do, what Conte should do? He just send him to Wisconsin in the off season. Uh, honestly, yeah, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of beer, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, you know, he see the problem was we loaned him to um, Valencia last year, or Sevilla, or wherever he went. It was Valencia? Yeah, we should have uh, sent him up north. Yeah, we need some of that bass cooking in him. <laughs> Yeah, we needed to send him. I mean, honestly, we should have sent him to Germany. Sent him to I don't know, France, in the north of England. Send, send him to Nice. Just be like butter. What do you what do we what do you want us to give him? Butter. Give him lots I of don't butter. Know, send him to Italy. Get him get him stuffed with carbs and pasta and pizza and you know all that sort of stuff. So I don't know, whatever. <laughs> well, as we discussed, Brian Heal's dietary plans. I think that is a if there's ever a signal to end a podcast, I believe it's there. Um, yep. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Spotify or iTunes because we are good boys who deserve it. And, uh, yeah, I think that wraps us up for the week. This was a surprisingly uh, not as depressed podcast as I was expecting, Brian. I mean, it was a little grim, but... All things considered. I mean, you got to look on the bright side, Greg. That's our motto here at Wheelie to the Radio. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, <laughs> for Brian, uh, for Ben, I presume, and for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>